0: Welcome to the Sharp Angles Betting Podcast. I'm Ryan McChrystal. It's been a while since we've done an episode of the Betting Podcast. Hopefully, you've been keeping up with the other pods in our feed. But now that the calendar has turned to June, we're starting to look ahead to some of the available props for the upcoming season. And today, we're actually going to kick things off with a special college football edition of the podcast. So joining me on the show today is a friend of mine and a former colleague of mine from our days at ESPN. He's now the research manager at the Big Ten Network, Harold Shelton. Thanks for joining me. How are you doing?
1: I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. It's been a long time, but I'm uh, <laughs> definitely happy to be on here.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. This is going to be fun. When I knew I was going to get a college football podcast together here, I knew I had to reach out to one of my old buddies at ESPN, because uh, obviously we spent plenty of time talking ball back in the halls of uh, Bristol, Connecticut.
1: <laughs> so, oh, yeah, Absolutely.
0: Yeah, so the way that we're going to do this today, rather than just like run through the teams that we like and just like go back and forth, I wanted to make it a little bit more interesting, and kind of like gamify things for us here. So I put together a few questions for us and Harold and I are going to go back and forth answering these questions. For some of them, we may have the same answer and that's fine. Hopefully on some of them, we differ a little bit, but we're going to be talking about college football team win totals. Um, And so, like I said, I got seven or eight questions here and Let's just kick things off with this first question here. So we're going to start out talking about the cream of the crop here of the following. We each are going to pick one team over and one team under. So the three teams that we're choosing here are Alabama, Ohio state and Georgia, and they're all at 10 and a half. So Harold, uh, let's start with your over. Where are you going here?
1: Uh, Over? I went with the Buckeyes. Um, I just feel like, with Ryan Day there, they have been completely dominant in that league. Um, I know last year, you know, they had the loss to Michigan, but, you know, that was his only conference loss since he's been there. Um, CJ Shroud's back, Trayvon Henderson. Trayvon Henderson's back. And even though they lost Chris Olave and Gary Wilson, I think Jackson Smith and Jigba was still the best of those three when he was on the <laughs> roster anyway. Um, and I feel like the defense really couldn't get worse than what it was compared to how Ohio State normally is. Uh, I think they upgraded a defensive coordinator, bringing in the Oklahoma State guy Jim Knowles. Um, they aggressively made changes after just one bad season on that side of the ball, which goes, to, which proves to me that Ryan Day is not messing around, not you know, resting on his laurels. Uh, he's trying to get this thing back and get back to the playoff.
0: Yeah, so I'm glad you said Ohio State, because I'm going to say them also, and I'm always a little hesitant to uh, give out a homer pick on here, so I'm, I'm glad to have a little support from a non-Ohio State homer on this one. It, it was tough. I certainly considered Alabama here, but looking at each of their schedules, I think Ohio State's is just a little bit more favorable. It's much easier to see them winning 11 games or even running the table, just to go through it real quick. They're road games at Michigan State, Penn State, Northwestern, and Maryland. They could lose to Michigan State. That wouldn't stun me, but they're certainly going to be favored by, I would guess, a touchdown maybe. I'm not sure if that early line has been posted yet, but that that would be my guess. And those other road games are going to be favored by well over a touchdown in each of those, I would guess. And then their home games, tougher, but they're at home, and that's Notre Dame in which they're already favored by 15 in that game. So (laughs) odds of is not expecting that to be particularly close. And then Michigan at home. Obviously, they can always lose to Michigan, especially based on what Michigan showed last year. But the early line on that game is already 13 and a half. So, I mean, both of those games, Ohio State, very comfortably favored. And again, I could see them losing to Michigan. I could see them losing to Michigan State. Notre Dame, with it being the the very first game uh, of the Marcus Freeman era, I, I don't think Ohio State really has to worry too much about that one. If it were later in the schedule, I might feel a little bit differently, but with that being his first game there with the new staff, I you know I definitely, I think Ohio State wins that. So Michigan State and Michigan are really the only two games in their schedule. I think like yeah they could lose it, and you know Ryan Day is not gonna lose both of them. You know like if, if he's got two games that are losable, the worst case scenario based on the track record we've seen from him, he's gonna have his boys prepared to play. They could drop one of them easily, but I just would be really shocked if they dropped both. So with the with the over-under set of 10.5, I feel pretty good about that one. So from this same group of teams, Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia, who are you taking the under 10.5 for?
1: And this was hard. Um, Ohio State was an easy one for me, uh, for the over, the under. Um, I, I went with Georgia. Um, if I had to pick one of the three, that's kind of the way I went, and I think part of it was I just couldn't go against Saban. Um, You know, they've won fewer than 11 regular season games once since 2011. Like, it's just not something that happens often. Like, they're usually going to win 11 games at least every year. And I wonder, with Georgia having so much turnover, 15 guys drafted, it was a generational defense that lost most of those guys. Maybe there's a title hangover. This is their first time finally reaching that mountaintop after, you know, coming close so many years you know, maybe a step back for them is 10 and two, which again, nothing to to sneeze at, but I just wonder, you know, if if we're splitting hairs here, I could see them maybe losing two games, um, more so than Alabama could.
0: Yeah. I'm with you on this one. Again, I'm picking Georgia and for pretty similar reasons, almost like process of elimination. I'm not going to bet the under on Georgia, but if we have to pick one of these three, that's definitely where I'm going to go. I just don't see it with the schedule that Alabama has come together. Even if they do take another little step backwards for some reason, you know their their toughest game is probably Texas A and M, but is at home. And then their road games: Texas, Arkansas, Tennessee, LSU, Ole Miss. I, I have a hard time seeing them, you know, dropping multiple games on that schedule. It's just even even if they're not like at the peak like they usually are the schedule is really favorable for them they they can be down a little bit and probably go 11 and 1 pretty easily but with georgia their schedule's not tough um but they do play oregon they're favored by 17 though so (laughs) that's uh we're we're not exactly expecting that to be close And, and i certainly don't expect them to lose that game but it's a game on the schedule that you can certainly point to and be like yeah it could be a loss and they're at south carolina which man anything could happen in that game, I mean, Spencer Rattler could get his stuff together, and <laughs> that could that could be they could be really competitive, and that could be an upset. They're also at Kentucky uh, late in the season. If Will Lovis gets things rolling there, like I I could definitely see that being a potential spot where they're tripped up. And then they play Florida, which I don't know. We'll get to Florida a little bit later in the podcast, but who knows? Anthony Richardson at quarterback for Florida he's a he's a wild card this season, so like anything could happen. But there's four games right there where like. I could at least make a case that those are four losable games and I can't come up with four. I can't even like stretch to come up with four losable games for the other two teams here. So, you know, the schedule kind of just points me to Florida plus you just, or points me to Georgia. Sorry. And plus just looking at the the style of play that they have, They're going to be the type of team that's more likely to end up in close games than Alabama or Ohio State, especially with their defense very likely taking a step back. Probably still a great defense, but they were at like an all-time level last year. They probably take a step back or probably in more close games. And, you know, if if you're in close games, anything can happen. Like it it could happen. So that's where I'm going with that one. So we're in agreement from that first question, taking the over on Ohio State 10 and a half. The under at Georgia 10 and a half. So let's jump to another question here. We're going to go to the Dabo Sweeney coaching tree question here. So of the following, same format as last one, of the following, pick one team over and one team under. And our teams for this one are Dabo with Clemson, the over unders 10 and a half. Brent Venables at Oklahoma, eight and a half, or Tony Elliott at Virginia, seven and a half. Harold for your over. Where are you going?
1: Uh, Over, I went Oklahoma, eight and a half. Um, Again, I know they lost Lincoln Riley. I know they lost Caleb Williams. A lot of turmoil there. But I think getting Brent Venables there was a a huge hire for them. Uh, Getting Dylan Gabriel coming over from UCF uh, to be the quarterback. He's got his OC with him there. Big 12, not that strong. Still don't really know what Texas is. I think Baylor's pretty good. But, you know, they've got some question marks. Iowa State's going to take a step back. If you look at their schedule, I know they're at Nebraska, a rivalry game, you never really know, and I know Nebraska played them tough last year, but still a game I think they win. You're at Iowa State, at West Virginia, at Texas Tech, and Texas on a neutral. You can lose three of those games and still hit the over. And so I feel pretty comfortable with the Sooners, you know, getting to at least nine wins in a so-so league.
0: Yeah, not the team I picked. I'm glad we differed on one finally, but <laughs> certainly by all of that argument there, especially just the argument of them being in the Big 12. That league is kind of wide open this year. You know, certainly other, te- you know, I wouldn't be at all shocked. I mean, I think I would expect someone other than Oklahoma to win it this year, but picking who is tough. And so, you know, it's kind of just sort of a mediocre year across the board through that league, at least as we're expecting it right now. And so, yeah. you know, if Oklahoma, you know, handles their business in close games, they could certainly get the over there. I'm going to go though, with what I think is the team with the best quarterback, which is a little bit surprising considering the teams around the table, but it's Virginia, you know, Brandon Armstrong, I think is by a pretty wide margin, the best quarterback of this group, which is kind of wild to say that Virginia has got a better quarterback than Clemson, Oklahoma, but he played at a really high level last year. And what also makes this a little bit easier for me to choose is just Virginia's schedule like the the ACC is gonna cannibalize itself a little bit this year and probably someone rises to the top and will end up being ranked but you're looking at their schedule depending on how things break they might get to the end when we look back at their schedule at the end of the season it's possible they will have not played a ranked team all season and their over-unders only at seven and a half now you know Virginia is certainly in the mix of those like kind of kind of good kind of mediocre teams of the ACC like you know I'm I'm not feeling confident about predicting nine wins for them but looking at their schedule their toughest games are Miami and Pittsburgh those are probably the two most likely teams other than Clemson to be ranked uh, out of the ACC early in the season but Clemson's not on Virginia's schedule so Miami and Pittsburgh both at home both teams that man, there's a wide range of possible outcomes from there. They could both be decent and ranked. Up to they could both be bad. Those could both be wins for Virginia. They've also got Louisville, North Carolina, coastal Carolina, all at home, possibly losable games, but all at home. So there's five of your if iffy games that they're at home. And then there's they've got Virginia tech on the road. Now, if we assume that all their other games are wins, which I feel good about those games are Richmond, Illinois, old dominion syracuse duke and georgia tech that's six w's right there and they got to get to they got to get to eight wins to hit the over between the, in those games against miami pitt louisville north carolina coastal carolina at home and virginia tech on the road i feel pretty good about them winning two of those especially with five of them being at home they got a really good quarterback there's a little bit unknown as far as like the changing of the offense obviously with elliot taking over there i think the sort of Yolo ball offense that they had last year, we're expecting that to be dialed back a little bit, but also like they were so good at it. Tony Elliott is not stupid; <laughs> he's not going to completely eliminate that from the offense. It worked for him last year, so they're still going to do some of that. So I, I still expect them to be a pretty explosive offense, and I, I think eight or nine wins is pretty realistic for him. So I'm going with the over for Virginia. You took the over for Oklahoma, so the under. Where are you going?
1: Yeah, I thought Clemson 10 and a half was high. Um, I know Dabo's got the track record and they've been in the playoff a bunch, but quarterback situation still unsettled. You know, obviously they lost both coordinators. I just kind of wonder if the defense takes a little bit of a step back. I know the ACC isn't as strong, and we've talked about that, but just – I feel like to win the way that they did last year, you have to have a completely dominant defense because the quarterback situation was just a disaster. And yes, it should be improved. But does that mean that they go 11 and one or 12? zero? I kind of have my doubts there. Do have some tricky games. I know they're at Wake Forest early in the year. Um, they're, they play at Notre Dame later in the year against he state at home who's talented beat them last year. So I wouldn't be shocked if they lost two of those three games, especially if that offense continues to struggle.
0: Yep, I'm completely with you on this one. This was probably <laughs> the easiest question uh, for me of the ones that we're going to answer today. You know, because they lost early and and then they just were kind of like out of sight, out of mind, I think the general public kind of missed just how bad DJ Uyunglele was. I mean, he was legitimately one of the worst quarterbacks in the nation one of the stats that really stood out to me when I was looking stuff up, when he was not under pressure last year, he ranked 123rd in the nation in positive EPA rate. I mean, when you're the quarterback at Clemson, when you're not under pressure, that's your chance to just light it up, especially in some of the bad teams that they play. I mean, they do have some cupcakes on the schedule, and they see, like, you're supposed to light it up. And a few of the guys that were better than him last year, I just looked at like the you know like the ten or so names that were better than him, and a few names just jumped out: Rutgers' Noah Vedral, Syracuse's Garrett Schrader, Illinois's Brandon Peters, Vanderbilt's Ken Seals. These are guys that were better when not pressured than DJ Uyunglela last year. I mean, he was so bad. I mean, their their struggles last year, a lot of it was on his shoulders, and. Yeah, obviously, we, his freshman year we saw some flashes of what he can do. He certainly looked a lot better than the limited playing time. So, like, it's very reasonable to think that he improves. But it's—I don't think it's realistic to see him go through a full season of being absolutely awful and suddenly expecting him to be like what we thought he could be. Like, I, I think that's completely out the window now. He is not going to be a superstar, you know, top ten NFL draft pick type of quarterback. That's just not who he is. He's—he was terrible last year. We can hope he's mediocre this year. But you, nobody goes from being in that like Brandon Peters, Noah Bedrill conversation to suddenly being like Joe Burrow or something like that. Like that's just not happening. And if you don't have a quarter, I mean, if he's going to be bad to mediocre, you're not going to win 11 games. Like I, I just think that's really far-fetched. And, you know, like you mentioned the schedule, like at Notre Dame, they're at Florida State, at Boston College, at Wake Forest. I mean, those are some road games where – you know, I, I, they're pro- they could go three and one, but like I expect them to lose at least one of those games. All of them are losable. They've also got NC State; they're they probably underdogs in that game. Louisville, Miami, South Carolina—like, I mean, I just rattled off eight games right there that I don't think we either one of us would be shocked if they dropped any one of those eight. So to think that they're going to go eleven and one, like that's that seems really far fetched. I'm with you. I was shocked by that, by that number. They they do not deserve that kind of respect right now.
1: Yeah, to be if, up there with Ohio State, Georgia, and Alabama on the win total line. That that's insane. Like I know again the ACC is like not as good as those other leagues, but that was really really surprising.
0: Yeah, it is. It's way too much respect. It's it's so much respect that we don't we don't see win total lines shift a whole lot usually. Usually we we see like the juice will shift a little bit, but this is this is so bad. I I wouldn't be surprised if it dropped to nine and a half at some point, or, or maybe if you shop around, maybe it is out there at nine and a half. And if, you know, if it were out there at nine and a half and you wanted to take 10, you, I probably wouldn't do it, but like you, you could probably justify that, but ten and a half, No, thank you. All right. Now to the Brian Kelly portion of the podcast. This was another easy comparison one to go to. We're going to pick one of these teams to go over their win total. And it's of course, LSU at six and a half, Notre Dame at Eight and a half. So his former school projected to be about two games better. We got to pick the over for one of these guys. Where are you going?
1: Uh, I actually went LSU over six and a half there. Um, I know LSU was a mess, but that's still a very, very talented team and a talented program. I mean, Kelly clearly can coach. He's proven that. He's done magic with quarterbacks. He's got Jaden Daniels coming in from Arizona State. Miles Brennan's back as well. Ton of talented guys from the portal that they added in the secondary. Um they got a lot of winnable games early. You know, I know they get Florida State, they get Southern New Mexico, UAB, you know. If you can just kind of split some of those non Alabama, Texas A and M games in the West, I feel like there's a path to seven there.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna go the other direction, but this was one of the more difficult questions, I think because six and a half is a very low number for a program like LSU. Like there is plenty of talent in there to get seven or eight wins. One of my big questions with them is I just, I just have no faith in Jaden Daniels as a quarterback. He was pretty bad last year. And he's another guy, like we were talking about with DJ who's showed flashes. Like he's had some games here and there where he's kind of put it together, but, he was pretty rough last year. One stat on him that jumped out to me, his on-target rate on the deep ball ranked in the 16th percentile among quarterbacks over the last five seasons. That's rough. Yeah. Um, and that's potentially an area where LSU could succeed because they got some guys at receiver, especially Keyshawn Boot. Um, so if he's not able to deliver those deep ball to them, that's going to cause the offense to splutter. But the other aspect to this is, I mean, the one thing that we know Jaden Daniels can do really well is run. Like, he's got mobility. But that's just not really something that's ever been a successful part of the Brian Kelly offense. Now, I, he's never had, like, a superstar athlete back there, but he has had mobile quarterbacks, guys who are capable of running. Probably the best example of that was Brandon Wimbush, who he, like, kind of had some success with. But, like, the athletic, Wimbush's athleticism was never, like, a focal point of the offense. It was more like, it was there for Wimbush to fall back on. It was it didn't really ever feel like Kelly was trying to tap into that much. He also had Ian Book recently, who was like a, a pretty decent athlete, not on Jaden Daniels level, but certainly had the mobility to run. And they did incorporate, you know, design runs for Book fairly often. But again, it was like a it was a secondary part of the offense. And with a quarterback like Daniels, who doesn't really throw the ball that well, especially the deep ball. And who is such a dangerous runner who has potential in that area? I feel like you kind of got to design the offense around that and like make that the focal point of the offense. And then maybe things open up for you more downfield. And then maybe he starts hitting those passes because you start getting some one on one situations or some guys who break free. Like that could then make him better in the other areas where he struggles. And I just don't have a lot of faith in Kelly doing that because we just, you know, we, we've seen all he's had a long track record of, you know, running a different type of offense. So I kind of, by default, I talked myself out of LSU. <laughs> I'm going to take Notre Dame, even though you know I, I think eight and a half is they're going to take a step backwards this year. There's no doubt about it. And eight and a half is going to be tough, especially when you have what we think pretty confidently as a built-in loss at Ohio State to open the season. They also play BYU in Vegas. That's a tough game. Clemson's on the schedule at USC that, you know, there's a lot we don't know about USC yet, but that feels like that might also be one that we should consider a loss. North Carolina, Boston College is another one. Again, like who, I mean, who knows what jerk can do? Like there's a wide range of outcomes for them, but that's a team that could potentially pull an upset in a big game this season. So I don't feel great about it, but I've, I talked myself out of LSU and Daniels, So I'm going to go with uh, the Notre Dame there. So let's do another head-to-head one here, and we're going to go to some struggling teams down in Florida. And I thought this, this question was particularly interesting because they meet up the final week of the season, and looking at their schedules, I think it could come down to both of these teams going head-to-head for the over, basically. <laughs> they could enter this game in the same, with the same record. So Florida and Florida State, their over-under is 6.5 for each of them. And that final game of the regular season could very easily decide. So where are you going?
1: Yeah, so similar to uh, the last question, I kind of went more just based on which coach I trusted more. Um, and so I'm going with Billy Napier here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what he did at Louisiana was great. Um, all he did was win and win and win there. Um, you know, I think he has great ties to that program. And the schedule is great. They get six of the first seven at home, get a chance to kind of get rolling a little bit. They, in addition to the Florida State game, they also get Vandy at the end of the year. South Carolina's in November as well. Um, and I know we talked about Anthony Richardson earlier. And last year, it was kind of the back and forth with him and Emory Jones. There's no more carousel now. Like, he's the guy. Um, I feel like, you know, they struggled to run the ball, you know, in the past couple of years. That shouldn't be an issue this year with the way that the Louisiana offense looked. So I feel like Florida should find a way to get to seven or eight wins if things swap right.
0: All right, so we're going to go head-to-head on this one because I'm going nice. I'm going the other way. I'm going with Florida State. I, I don't necessarily disagree with anything that you said. I think if we put these two teams head-to-head with a slightly different question, like if you ask me which team is more likely to win nine games, I'm going Florida because Anthony Richardson basically. like He's a wild card. We kind of saw some flashes, but we didn't see him that much. Most of what we saw was like running ability, which was really exciting. But if he's starting every game, how sustainable is that? Like it it could go all over the place. Like they could be really good if he is as good as we think his ceiling could be. I mean, he's already being mentioned. You know, if you're, if you're reading some early mock drafts, he's already appearing in like the top 10 in some of those last year, (laughs) despite we've barely seen him. One thing that stood out to me with him, the, the passing game it wasn't there yet. We think it's there because like he made some real there's some highlights out there that you can point to. But throwing 10 or more yards downfield last year, he was 12 of 31. That's 39%. And they didn't have a lot of weapons, but Emory Jones was also 10 percentage points higher than him in that stat. So I don't think we can really say like I don't I don't think we can really blame everybody else around him. Now it could be a combination of everyone around him and the fact that he was a freshman and you know, like. It's totally believable if he makes a huge improvement there, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, but I I just feel like I have a little, I'm ha- I feel like the ceiling is higher, the floor is lower with Florida because who knows? Like some sometimes we see flashes of a quarterback, like another guy we talked about today, DJ Uyengulule. Sometimes you can get really excited, and then when they got to go and do it every single week, it doesn't look the same. Um, so I'm going to go with Florida State because I have a little bit more faith in their quarterback, Jordan Travis. He needs to get better under pressure. That was the big problem for him last year. Um, When he was pressured last year, thirty percent of his dropbacks under pressure resulted in a sack or an interception. That's terrible. He's got to fix that. But when he was not under pressure, his positive EPA rate was tied for sixth in the ACC. That was tied with Devin Leary, who, like you know, you listen to a lot of uh, a lot of people talk about sleeper Heisman candidates. You know, his name will get brought up this year. Um, he's, a when it's going well, I feel like the baseline for Jordan Travis is pretty good. So if he can clean up some of those mistakes under pressure, which totally reasonable to expect him to, with, you know, having a year of experience, uh, I have a little, I have more confidence in them getting to the seven wins, even though I do think Florida has a higher ceiling there.
1: No, that's fair. That's definitely fair. And I think for me, it was just more of, I trust Billy Napier more. Um, and similar to, I trusted Brian Kelly more, it was more just based on overall coaching track record plus talent. Uh, both numbers seemed a little low. So I'd say I, I can feel comfortable with them getting seven. Like that should be
0: enough to at least, you know, win that bet. Oh yeah. Yeah. Totally with you and trusting the Florida coaching staff a little bit more <laughs> based on what, he, I mean, he did a great job at Louisiana. There's just, there's no doubt about that. And at Florida state where, you know, I, he, he he's back It seems like he's got some talent there but it's been kind of a mess at times too so exactly. who, who knows all right our next question we're going to go back to talking about um, some of the better teams in the college football landscape we're going to pick one of the props out there that you can get is picking team to win 10 or more games we're going to eliminate alabama georgia and ohio state we've already talked about them Obviously, we feel pretty good about all three of those teams winning at least 10 games. But any other team out there, pick a team to win 10 games. Who are you taking here?
1: Uh, I'm actually going to take Michigan, and it's mostly because of the schedule. Um, That schedule is bad. I mean, it is bad, especially not conferences with Colorado State, UConn, Hawaii. Um, I know they get Iowa on the schedule. It's at Kinnick. That's like first row game. Obviously, really tough place to play. They usually have Wisconsin on the schedule. They don't this year. Uh, they get in Nebraska at home in the crossover. Uh, we know about Ohio State, and I feel like that's a loss. But if you split the Iowa, Michigan State games and win the rest, that's enough for a ten and two season. I know they, they. I feel like they should take a step back on defense. Uh, Obviously, Mike McDonald not being there anymore, he did a great job turning the defense around, and you lose Hutchinson and Ojabo up front, Dax Hill in the back, but I think that offense can be so explosive that it it'll be enough to outscore the teams that they have more talent than, and that should be enough to get them ten wins.
0: Yeah, totally. Totally makes sense. We'll get to Michigan another question, so I'll will save some of my comments on Michigan for another question. But the team that I'm going to take here is NC State. I just mentioned Devin Leary as being you know kind of a sleeper Heisman candidate that's out there. I this is one that I, I think is very realistic based on their schedule. I'm also kind of rooting for it to happen. They've only won ten games once back when Philip Rivers was there. So for them to get to ten wins would be a a pretty big uh, it'd be a pretty big achievement for this program. Um, and their schedule really shapes up nicely. Their non-conference schedule, East Carolina, Charleston, Southern, Texas Tech, and Yukon. So we can chalk up four wins right off the bat. That means they only got to get six wins in the ACC. I mean, looking at their schedule, we can point to some possible losses. I would say at Clemson, home against Wake Forest, at Louisville, at North Carolina, they – All of those games are losable, but I think this team is far too talented to go one and three in that stretch. I I think their chances of winning, of going 10 and two in the regular season is pretty good. You know, maybe they lose to Clemson and Wake Forest. I think those are probably the two most likely ones, but they're going to be favored in at least 10 games. They may even be favored against Wake Forest and Clemson. You know, if, if they were favored in all of their games this season, I wouldn't be stunned and so, yeah, I think they—they're uh, the prop for them to get to go with 10 or more wins is at plus 150. I like that. That's one that I've actually already taken. I think they've got a pretty good chance. I, I, I think they're uh, a strong candidate to win the ACC this year.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised one bit at that. Um, that was part of the reason why I had Clemson under the 10 and a half, because I yep. felt like NC State would be a team that could knock them off um I really like them a lot and I think you know that talent kind of showed in the win over Clemson a year ago and I feel like they could take that step this year
0: yeah absolutely I mean they're at Clemson so that's going to be a a tough game but you know also like even if it's the spread on that is going to be low maybe Clemson's favored by like two and a half or something like that that seems realistic but regardless of what the spread is NC State is probably the more talented team and yet they're going in with that underdog chip on their shoulder because it's still nc state and you know big bad clemson and like and that's a common that's a dangerous combination like you got the more talented team who still like really genuinely feels like the underdog the the that uh that that team is usually the winner in those matchups so i i like that all right we're gonna stick with the same question but we're going to eliminate the most likely candidates and try to get one long shot bet out here so we're going to say you've got to pick a team to win 10 or more games but their odds have to be plus 500 or longer now before we get to Harold your answer I'm just going to read off a few of the teams I feel like just below this threshold just so if you're listening and you're wondering like man how could you not pick whoever I'm just going to like rattle off some of these teams that are sort of a long shot, but didn't quite meet the plus 500. We've got Penn State plus 250, Miami plus 250, Wake Forest at 250, Oklahoma State at 300, UCLA plus 400, Ole Miss and Tennessee both at plus 450. So those were some of the quasi-long shots that you could certainly make a case for, but how we framed this question, they didn't qualify. So a team with plus 500 odds or longer to win 10 games, who are you going with, Harold?
1: Yeah, this was, this was a really, really tough question. Um, but I I rolled the dice and I went with Michigan State at plus 700. Um, I feel like, obviously, we know Kenneth Walker was fantastic and you can't replace him, but they did get a couple transfers in Jalen Berger, uh, the former Wisconsin running back, and Jerry Broussard from Colorado, uh, the 2020 Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. I feel like the combo of those two guys – should be enough to at least be pretty good, maybe not exceptional like Walker was, but at least be pretty good. I think having Peyton Thorn back for another year as a starter will certainly help. Uh, Jaden Reed surprisingly coming back, I think, helps as well. Uh, just another year in the system with with Mel Tucker, and he continues to add uh, people from the transfer portal. I think to kind of you know speed up the rebuild. Um, it's been impressive so far. And I think just schedule wise, um, I think the biggest things I don't think they beat Ohio State. You get Wisconsin and Minnesota at home and then you get Michigan and Penn State both on the road. And so I feel like if you take care of home outside of Ohio State and then split those two road games, that could be enough to get the 10. It'll be tough, but I think it could be enough to get the 10.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's not the team I chose, but I definitely considered them for this. There weren't a whole lot of teams I liked. I mean, obviously, you know, most of these, maybe none of these teams are going to win 10 games because we're looking at long shots. So it's hard to come up with ones you like, but th- they were definitely on my list. I decided to go with a little bit more of a long shot. It's it's certainly not likely, but I think I can make a pretty good case for why Purdue at plus 1,400. I thought
1: about them. I thought All right, about them.
0: nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it said plus 1,400 too. So like, I feel like it's, it's a long enough shot that it's kind of like worth, it's worth your time. So they went eight and four last year. They got, you know, they were kind of a team that by the end of the season, uh, they were, they were playing, you know, they weren't at that top 10 kind of caliber team, but they were playing as well as anybody in like the 10 to 20 range in the rankings, even though they weren't getting that kind of respect, but they were playing at that level. And it had a lot to do with Aiden O'Connell who returns for them at quarterback. I'll throw out a couple stats on here, especially in regards to how he handles pressure. His positive EPA rate versus pressure compared to quarterbacks over the last five years ranked in the 81st percentile, playing at a very high level under pressure. His positive EPA rate on third down, 86th percentile. So he's playing well under pressure, playing well on third downs, pressure third down situations. And also a really big one is he is exceptional at avoiding negative plays. He really has mastered that offense runs it incredibly efficiently. His rate of producing a play of negative one EPA or worse last year was 14%. Compared to quarterbacks over the last five seasons, that ranks in the 95th percentile. So he's at an elite level. And that's a big deal when you're playing in an offense like Brahms offense at Purdue. Like he runs that so efficiently. He's mastered it now and you know, with one more full year under his belt, like could he ratchet it up to another level to the point where he's, you know, really actually being mentioned among the top quarterbacks in the country, which he hasn't been to this point, despite playing pretty close to it. I, I wouldn't be shocked. And if he's playing at that high level, you know, they're going to get to eight and four easily, I think. And to get to nine, 10, win, like win a couple close games, it could happen. You know, let's look at their, uh, schedule real quick. Their non-conference is also a part of this too. I should mention Indiana state, Syracuse, and Florida Atlantic. So check off that three and O non-conference schedule. They also do not play Ohio state. They do not play Michigan. They do not play Michigan state. So they have, I mean, especially when you factor in the non-conference portion of the schedule, I mean, you're, you're the uh, big 10 researcher. So I'll ask you, is this the easiest big 10 schedule ever? (laughs)
1: <laughs> i mean i think michigan's my rival it <laughs> with, with colorado state hawaii and yukon um uh, but yeah it's, it's weird because purdue usually has a game or two where you know they'll get a tcu or they'll they'll go to missouri or you know i think they opened up a louisville uh to open the brown era and like they usually have like too tough of a non-conference schedule for you know what their talent level was at the time and them just trying to be bowl eligible and now that they seem to be at a level of competing for the Big Ten West, the schedule has lightened up. And now it's like, okay, we should start 3-0, and then from there we'll kind of see what happens. Uh, You're absolutely right about O'Connell. Like I was doing some stuff on him uh last week, and like he had 81 completions in his final three games the last season for 12 touchdowns, three picks, and for over 1,200 yards.
0: And wasn't like, Bell missing? Bell – David I think Bounds he set out game. the bowl game. Yeah.
1: And yeah. then Brock Thompson went off for over 200 <laughs> yeah. yards against Tennessee in, in a ridiculous music city ball. I, I think part of the reason Purdue only won, you know, eight games is because they were trying to figure out the QB situation early. Yeah. And, you know, they had a couple clunkers. I know that they lost a game to Minnesota. They probably shouldn't have lost. And they had Notre Dame on the ropes, but had the wrong quarterback in and he wound up throwing a couple picks. So, um yeah with O'Connell having a full season I think they could be really dangerous
0: yeah absolutely I, I mean the it's just a perfect storm rather than having the easy non-conference avoiding Ohio State Michigan and Michigan State they're my pick to win the division and go to the Big Ten title game uh, probably to get thumped by Ohio State but you know that's still like a big step for that program to get to that point where they're you know, winning the division. I, I definitely think they could do it. And I think they could do it by winning 10 games this year. All right. So let's move on to our next question. Uh, we're going to jump to some of the uh, not so high profile teams, teams who are not going to approach 10 wins this season. But we're going to talk about some of the coaches who are on the hot seat. So, of the following, we're going to pick one team to go over their win total, one team to go under. We've got Nebraska. Scott Frost, obviously on the hot seat there. Their win total is seven and a half. We got long, the longest tenured coach here, David Shaw at Stanford, definitely on the hot seat after last year's performance. His over-under at four and a half. So you don't want a four and a half win total <laughs> when you're on the hot seat. So that's trouble for him either way, probably. But we've also got Georgia Tech, four and a half. Arizona State, five and a half. Those are our uh, hot seat coaches. Who do you think is going to go? over their win total and uh maybe uh put off that uh dreaded pink slip for a season
1: uh it might be surprising but i'm actually going arizona state despite all of the turmoil that they had Just, that's a really really low number and i think you know the pac 12 it's better but still not great they hit the portal hard Um, got Paul Tyson who transferred in from Alabama, obviously Bryce Young beat him out, but he was still like a highly touted recruit. I assume he would come in and take that job. And they really, really hit the portal hard. Like I was saying, you know, I know they lost some guys, um, in that running back room, but, but added some depth there, brought the running back in from Wyoming, um, brought in all conference safety, uh, from Hawaii. So I feel like it should be enough to get the six and six. The defense has still been pretty good regardless of all of the issues that they've had on offense. And if the de- and if both units are serviceable, that kind of screams six and six. So, again, I mostly went with the number there. I just feel like, you know, if you're an average football team, which Arizona State probably will be, that kind of screams six and six. And so that's the way I went.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on this one. And I was also surprised by my choice because when I put the question together, I hadn't really looked. I mean, with these teams being off the radar a little bit, I hadn't really dug deep into them this offseason yet or anything. And my expectation was like, oh, yeah, there's no way I'm taking the over on that program. But when I looked a little closer at the number and the schedule and the other teams, like I I landed on Arizona State because – you know, they they got crushed by the transfer portal and by graduations, especially on offense. But like you said, they've added some guys. They also had Emory Jones to come in and compete at quarterback too. Like they're going to have a quarterback competition between two guys who we haven't really seen them play at a high level, but they have talent. So, you know, if one of those guys hits and plays decent football for them, you know, they should probably get to six, a six and six kind of season. And also just looking at their schedule, they've got three guaranteed wins, which sets a nice little, cushion for them to start with northern arizona eastern michigan and colorado so those are three wins and then they also play stanford who is one of the other teams we were considering and i would certainly lean towards picking arizona state in that game so that's maybe you know if if you think that's an easy win over stanford you can maybe argue that's four wins that you're spotting with then you only need to get two more some of the other winnable games in their schedule they're at arizona they could win that easily that's a program that's on the rise a little bit but you know, they could certainly win that game at Washington state. That's another program going through a little bit of a, uh, going through a regime regime change. They've lost some guys that could be sort of a rebuilding year for Washington state. Then they're at home against Washington. I'm not sold on Michael Penix. So, uh, I, I think that, you know, Washington could be a really disappointing team this year. So I wouldn't be surprised if Arizona state won that. Then they're at home against Oregon state who's kind of like the opposite of Arizona state in the sense that not as much talent, but like very stable, well-coached program. Um, but you know, in any given week, like, like Arizona state certainly has a talent to pull off that win. So I, I see three easy wins, maybe four. And yeah, just like the schedule and the talent, like the program's a mess. Like if they went 10 and two and it all fell apart, like I, I would kind of be like, yeah, like maybe we should have seen that coming, but I just think it kind of shapes up as them at least being the best option uh, of the teams that we mentioned here. So for the under, we both took Arizona State. So the three teams left are Nebraska, Stanford, and Georgia Tech. Who do you think is going to un- go under their win total, which would very likely signal the end of their tenure?
1: I, I think the Nebraska number is too high. Um, and I saw, I think they were favored to win in division by some. and again i know that they lost a bunch of close games last year and i get that you know they were, had a positive point differential despite being 3 and 9 and they had an even point differential on nine big 10 games despite losing eight, eight of them like it's crazy but they are 5 and 20 in one possession games under scott frost like 5 and 20 <laughs> like that's kind of who you are that's not a blip that's a program thing And I can't trust you until I see that change. And they just kind of find ways to lose games that they shouldn't have lost. And I know some of that was turnovers. Uh, Adrian Martinez is not there anymore. I know he, for as dynamic as he was, he kind of had a propensity to give the ball up at the absolute wrong time. Um, I know he's not there anymore. But that's just a team I can't trust. And, like, when you look at the schedule, Uh, You feel like they would lose at Michigan, Uh, They probably lose at Iowa. They've had a Wisconsin problem for a while. I can't see that ending. Uh, Oklahoma, we mentioned earlier in the segment. Um, I know it's at home. It's a rivalry, but I feel like Oklahoma is still more talented than them. And like you mentioned, they play Purdue. Like We're both really high on Purdue. Wouldn't be shocked if they lost that game. They lost it last year at home. They open. they got that weird game in Ireland against Northwestern to start the year. Who knows what they'll look like? So I don't know if they can get the eight wins with that kind of schedule.
0: Yep, we're on the same page on this one again. That that number is way too high. I feel like this, mu- this number must be influenced by just like how much talk there was out there about them losing all those close games last year. Because, I mean, that just, it came up, I feel like, on every time... I listened to a podcast or turned on the TV, like someone was talking about them you know losing seven games by a touchdown or less. And the thing is, when you dig into some of the numbers, like the more shocking thing is that they were that close. what <laughs> One of the numbers that really jumped out to me is their adjusted pressure rate allowed, so the rate that they were allowing pressure relative to what those teams generate against other opponents. They ranked 124th in the country. The team's worse than them were Colorado, Rice, Charlotte, FIU, Akron, and Navy. And Navy, obviously, you know, we sort of put an asterisk next to them without much of a passing game. But man, like if you're getting mentioned with those programs, you are just not good. Like you're, you're a three and nine team. <laughs> That's just all. If you can't protect the quarterback, you're bad. And their record showed that they were bad. Like, the, the more shocking thing to me really is that they were in so many close games, not the fact that they didn't win any of them. And you know, there you mentioned Adrian Martinez and his tendency to you know, have some untimely turnovers and, you know, make some big mistakes late in games. Absolutely true. Like totally fair criticism of Adrian Martinez, but also, he was kind of the reason they were actually close in those games at the beginning. Like he got them in the position to be the one to make the mistake to blow it. Like without him, they're probably it's probably not a close game. So like you know they're probably down double digits in some of those games at the end. And I, I looked up a couple stats on how he handled pressure last season because obviously you know ranked one twenty fourth in adjusted pressure rate allowed, they could not protect him. So I was curious to see like how did Adrian Martinez actually fare in those situations? And I was actually a little bit surprised to see this, but he handled pressure pretty well last year. Again, I'm referencing these stats as a percentile relative to quarterbacks the last five seasons. His completion percentage under pressure, 80th percentile. His sack interception rate under pressure, 62nd percentile. His positive EPA rate under pressure is 76th percentile. So he was above average to actually kind of good. When he was getting pressured, and you know, it's probably because he had a lot of practice because he was getting pressured a lot. But you know, like they were, they were blowing it. The offensive line was blowing it and forcing him into these bad situations, and he was truly doing the as about as well as you could expect under those conditions. When you look at some of those numbers, do we really? Is it going to get better with Casey Thompson or uh, Chubba Purdy or Logan Smothers back there? I, I cannot, with any confidence, I certainly cannot say so. Maybe. We, I mean, we at one point we thought some of those guys had a high ceiling, so, like, it could happen. But, man, I, I think it's a, a really big leap to just assume someone is going to come be an upgrade over Adrian Martinez, right? Yeah, I would
1: agree. And, you know, if this number was closer to, you know, six and a half, you know, mm-hmm. I'd be more inclined to say, oh, yeah, I could see them winning seven. But eight just seems like a stretch. And like you said, Adrian Martinez was a big reason that they were in a lot of the games. And in addition to him, like, making the mistakes, they had some just team losses. Like, whether it was special teams against Oklahoma or Michigan State, whether it was the defense letting down against Minnesota or Michigan, whether it was the offensive line, like you said, against Iowa, like, it was a full team effort. Like, it wasn't one guy that was, you know, the reason for these losses. And, like, each unit kind of took a turn, you know, depending on the opponent. And I feel like that's a lot to change to go from three to eight when you have issues at all three phases like that.
0: Yeah, and like you said, too, this isn't this wasn't like an isolated incident. This has been a trend a little bit for a few years. And when you have those team losses year after year, it's usually the coach's fault. <laughs> like, that's and again, a maybe it
1: changes. Like maybe it does change. You know, like I know they've you know, kind of reshuffled some things. And But, I mean, from three to eight seems like a lot. You know, I feel like a lot would
0: have to go right. Absolutely. Completely agree. All right. So we got one question left, and we've actually mentioned each of these teams already, but I wanted to make sure we got a little Michigan State talk into the podcast because you're a Michigan State guy. So you've already talked to them a little bit about both of these teams. So I'm curious to see where you're going to go when they're put head-to-head. We're going to take the over on one of these teams, Michigan State over seven and a half, or Michigan over nine and a half.
1: Yeah, I went Michigan State over seven and a half just to give myself a little bit more margin for error. Um, I feel better about them winning eight games than Michigan winning 10 games. Like I wouldn't be shocked if Michigan went nine and three. I'd be pretty surprised if Michigan State finished with less than eight. Um, and I think part of it, and we mentioned the offense you know, earlier, but I think the defense should be a lot better. It certainly can't be worse in the secondary than what it was a year ago. Uh, I mean, they allowed the most passing yards in the country. And like, I know, you know, passing yards per game is not the best metric they use by any stretch. But they were still, you know, bottom third, bottom fourth in the country in a lot of those, you know, passing metrics. And I think they tried to address that in the portal. I think mean, Mel Tucker himself is, like, helping out with the corners. Like, they like they completely, completely moved on from – uh, the previous regime that they had uh coaching corners and he's kind of taking more of a hands-on role there. You know, I think the fact that they added, you know, Aaron Brûle, linebacker from Mississippi State. You know, they added Jacoby Women, a linebacker from UNLV, super athletic guy. Um, and I think just the fact that it's another year in the system, they don't have to play like super base, you know, defense. They could kind of be more exotic, I think, with another year in the system should help them. And I think the fact that the defense being better, the pass rush being better, should allow them to not have to win as many close games or rely on one guy like they did last year in Kenneth Walker.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm with you on this one. Also, um, I think if you asked me, I guess this is sort of like sim- similar to our Florida Florida State conversation a little bit. I'm more confident in saying like that I know what Michigan is like i know who's showing up for Michigan every week like they're going to have a good run game behind Blake Corum the defense although it probably takes a step back like it's going to be solid they're going to be a run and d kind of team but whether that produces a 10 and 2 record versus like a 9 and 3 or may, you know maybe worst case scenario 8 and 4 like i don't know like i i just anything could happen cuz you're you when you're playing that style of play you're lending yourself to more likely to be in a close game And, you know, with the defense probably taking a step back, I don't know if they're, you know, they're they're more likely to lose one of those close games. Similar to what I said about Georgia, too. Like, if that's your style of play, like, your your odds of an upset are just a little bit higher than a team that's, you know, going to throw the ball around. But with Michigan State, like, they're the far more volatile team, I think. Do you you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. See, See, my sense with them is that, like, let, there's a sense that they're going to take a step back, obviously, which is why the number is set to seven and a half. But I could certainly construct an argument for why they could get better. Because like you mentioned, we do think the defense will get better because it can't get much worse. And then even though they were, they were leaned so heavily on Kenneth Walker last year, like that's, that's risky to lean so heavily on one guy this year. They got Broussard and Berger, like you said, Could the two of them combined, like neither one of them is Kenneth Walker, but could the two of them combined produce a more dangerous run game than they had last year? It could happen. Like obviously, he's got a system that works because you know Walker stepped into that program and elevated his game a lot. So could those two guys step in and both elevate their game to the point where that's a really dangerous rushing attack again? I think so. Like I I think that's very realistic. But there's they're more volatile and I'll ask you another question before I get to what I was going to say. If you had to say Peyton Thorne at quarterback, is he cl- this year, do you expect him to be closer to being an asset or a liability to the offense?
1: I'd say closer to asset, but I'm not like stamp of approval on it. Like, there have been, there were too many performances last year where you're just like, man, what's wrong with this dude? Like, he, <laughs> yeah. like, it was, it was complete hot and cold. Like, the Nebraska game, the second half, I mean, they don't win without Jaden Reed returning the punt for a touchdown. And, like, Indiana, he struggled. The pick game for, you know, two and a half quarters, he looked terrible. And then in the fourth quarter, he figured it out. Like, he's, he has very volatile, volatile performances. And so I'd hope that he would take another step, you know, in his second full year as a starter. But I can't guarantee it until I see it. And so – The fact that you've got some of the defenses on that schedule you know michigan wisconsin penn state ohio state like minnesota i think could still be a pretty good defense like that's still tough sledding and so if he doesn't play well in some of those games and now they get injuries up front and he's running for his life like that could be a problem
0: okay yeah i'm glad i'm glad you said that because that's the direction i was going to go to as far as making a case for why they're so volatile is that his play is so volatile. So, like, if the run game does take a step back, like, maybe the, you know, Bruce Ardenberger combined, like, you know, maybe that just, they can't replicate last year's run game and Thorne continues to be so volatile. Like, yeah, I, I could see how maybe it falls apart a little bit this year and, you know, seven and five, six and six, like maybe that happens. So, but I wanted to put some numbers behind what you were just saying with Peyton Thorne's uh volatility i just looked up his qbr in big 10 play last year and i'm just going to run through the game log and i know this is clearly not going to come as a surprise to you but the numbers are kind of funny when you see it them actually yeah, written out i'll just go in order the games 39 94 20 48 91 90 26 94 that's crazy yeah. <laughs> like that's absolutely crazy I mean, I would much rather have that because there were, there's four games in there of 90-plus where he's playing great football. So I would much rather have that than like a Sean Clifford who's just consistently being blah. Right. Like, so I would much rather have a guy who can be great on any given day. But, I mean, he also had three games where he was under 40. Like he had some yeah. some real duds. I mean, and, and one of them was the Ohio State game where you could you can kind of excuse him to that. Because they fell behind so fast, yeah, that, <laughs> like that he game just, got away
1: in ten minutes, yeah. and it was like, "All right, pass rush drill, have fun." Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, even a struggling defense like Ohio State, like with as much talent as they had on defense, when you put them in a situation where they're playing with a lead, that they're going to dominate. So you can kind of give them a pass on that, but like, there's you know, there's still other games on there where he was a liability to the offense, and so that's why I sort of feel like, I man, anything could happen. Like if if he is consistently playing at a, a level. Where he is, you know, if if, his—I guess I should say—if his worst performance is mediocre, like if he just eliminates the really bad outings, and he gets to a point where he's giving you some great games, but his down games are only mediocre as opposed to terrible, and the run game stays really strong, like yeah, that Michigan State could win ten games, like you said earlier, like I, I think that's a reasonable bet to place, like you mentioned. So, I think they're a lot more volatile than Michigan, but yeah, with a with a seven and a half win total. I, I do think that there's there's an easier path to them getting to eight wins. Whereas with Michigan, I think they kind of really need everything to go right for them to get to ten again. Well, Harold, this was a lot of fun. That was our last question. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Oh, thanks for having me on. Always good to talk college football, always good to reconnect. I know you know we tweet at each other from time to time. It's good to have like an actual sit down and talk an hour about
0: college football. It's the best absolutely love talking the game uh it's nice to be able to start talking uh about actual games again with you know only a couple months to go until the season starts so that's it for us this week i'm not sure when we'll be back with a betting version of the podcast but uh keep an eye on your feeds there'll certainly be someone uh popping up with a new podcast in the sharp angles feed next week so take it easy